Sober, Remo Centrella would have never tried to make the exit. He was almost past it and driving at over 90 miles an hour. On this night, however, baseball's home run king wasn't sober. He was half drunk and at the tail end of an eight-week steroid cycle that made him feel invincible. Instead of waiting for the next exit, he cut his wheel hard to the right. His eyes were locked on the exit ramp, and he didn't see the 18-wheeler riding in the slow lane. But the woman in his passenger seat did. She saw the truck and realized Remo was about to drive them into the side of it. Look out, she said. Remo turned his head in time to see that the truck was about to block their path to the ramp. Even drunk, he realized they were too close to try and slow down. Braking would just guarantee they drove into the truck at a point of impact that would likely decapitate them. So, instead of hitting the brakes, Remo jammed the horn and drove his gas pedal to the floor. The driver of the truck, a good old boy from Panama City, Florida named Chuck Spencer, heard the sound of a horn and squealing of tires to his left. He turned and saw a red Porsche heading at him with a blonde woman in the passenger seat who was screaming out in terror. Chuck slammed on his brakes and his truck began to jackknife. He knew the smart thing to do would be to reaccelerate, to try and pull his trailer back in line, but he couldn't bring himself to do it because he knew it would mean a deadly crash for the passengers in the car. He kept his foot on the brakes and tried to steer his way out of trouble. As Chuck fought to keep control of his truck, Remo swerved his car to the left and cut across its nose. Son of a bitch! Chuck said as he watched the Porsche dart up the ramp to safety. He pulled his foot off the brake and pressed down hard on the gas. The burst of acceleration jerked the trailer back into alignment. The jackknife was averted. Chuck had regained control of his truck, but now he was struggling to breathe. Afraid he might be having another heart attack, he downshifted and drove off the next exit. He came to a stop at the top of the ramp and pulled out the pack of cigarettes that was tucked into the front pocket of his T-shirt. He grabbed a cigarette, lit it, and took a hungry inhale. As the smoke settled into his lungs, Chuck's hands stopped shaking and the tightness in his chest went away. A fresh batch of nicotine began to flow through his system and his feelings of panic began to dissipate. False alarm, he said as he finished the cigarette. He stubbed it out and calmly lit a second one. As Chuck smoked a fresh Winston, he looked to his right and saw the golden dome of the Georgia Capitol building. It was shining brightly in the night sky. Ahead, in the distance, he saw the upper level of Wilson Field, silhouetted in light from the interstate. Through his side mirror, he could see the slow stream of highway traffic as it continued to roll through the night, oblivious to the fact a deadly crash had barely been avoided. Chuck thought about calling the cops, but decided it wasn't worth the hassle. He didn't want to waste a couple of hours of time answering questions about a driver who would probably never be caught. And he didn't feel like dealing with a cop who might run his license and find out he had been popped for a DUI three years earlier. Screw it, Chuck said and flicked his cigarette out the window.
better to keep his mouth shut and continue making progress towards home. He looked at his watch and decided he would drive south on I-75 for another hour or two before checking into one of the economy motels that littered almost every exit between Atlanta and the Florida state line. It was 3.04 a.m. when he put his truck back in gear and rumbled back onto the interstate. Three miles away, Remo Centrella blew through a stop sign before turning left onto Haywood Avenue. Haywood Avenue was a quiet street in the roughest part of Atlanta, a section of the city that the Atlanta Police Department designated as Zone 3. It was a mile and a half south of downtown and two blocks west of Wilson Field. The homes on Haywood were row houses. They'd been built without garages a generation before Atlanta's working class could afford cars. 